Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Right, please turn with me to Exodus one more time again this morning. Uh, well, not quite done yet, but uh, one more commandment this morning. And our focus is going to be on verse 15. But I would like us to, just uh, as a reminder, uh, read the entire, not the entire chapter, but down to verse 21. So Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love of those who are showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's just pray together. Lord, the unfolding of your revelation to us is a wonderful gift. And once again, this morning, we do turn to this word, the scripture, this particular passage. And I pray that you would continue to mold us and, and teach us. But even as we've been singing this morning, that we would, Lord, keep our eyes, turn our eyes to Jesus. And not just in terms of uh, an experience of worship, uh, as we gather with others, but turning our eyes to you uh, for life and for godliness and for salvation for eternity. And so guide us, guide me in the words that I speak, our thoughts as we listen 
And Lord, our actions as we go from this place, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, I have family in the United States. I have a sister that lives there with her husband and family. And this uh, past Thursday, they reminded me it was Thanksgiving. Uh, that is the practice in the United States of America. Celebrate uh, once a year. The, I think it's the fourth Thursday. Fourth Thursday of each uh, year. Well, I thought it was fitting to introduce today's message by borrowing from uh, one of the books on the Ten Commandments by an author called Cecil Myers. And he describes, where he describes a painting. Now, I'm, I'm, none of you are looking at me. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're looking at the painting. I want you to look at the painting. And, and, and I'm going to describe that painting to you to introduce this message uh, this morning. The painting shows a woman. She's buying a turkey. And she's doing so for Thanksgiving dinner. The turkey is being weighed in a scale to determine the price. Maybe young people don't recognize that kind of scale, but uh, certainly been used in days gone by. Uh, behind the counter is, we could describe, a jolly butcher. And uh, he's looking very happy. His customer is a respectable-looking woman, according to Myers, 60. I thought she looked more 80. <laughs> Well, like the butcher, she looks pleased. Two of them exchange a knowing smile, almost as if they're sharing a joke. But the joke is really on them because the painting shows what they are secretly doing. Have you spotted? Have you spotted what they're doing? The butcher is pressing down on the scale with his big fat thumb to raise the price. At the same time, the woman is trying to get a, bigger de a better deal by pushing the scale up with her forefinger. The reason both of them look pleased is that neither is aware of what the other is doing. Now, I expected this response. Uh, the painting kind of stirs a little bit of a giggle, a bit of a chuckle. But in reality, in reality, the truth be said, it's actually a very sad picture of the butcher and the lady. They're breaking the Eighth Commandment. Aren't they? So I quote Myers now. He says, Both the butcher and the lovely lady would resent being called thieves. The lovely lady would never rob a bank or steal a car. The butcher would be indignant if anyone accused him of stealing. And if a customer gave him a bad check, he would call the police. But neither saw anything wrong with the little deception that would make a few cents for one will save a few cents for another. So I do want us to think this morning uh, about what they're doing. And perhaps it's a challenge in terms of what we possibly may be doing. They were stealing. They were stealing and breaking the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. Very uh, explicit statement uh, made in this particular passage uh, that we have for us in Exodus 20. Stealing is rife in our society. This is nothing new to any of us here this morning. I've just tried to categorize uh, some areas, volumes, literally volumes of literature has been written of business people. I don't know if anybody here bought Steinhoff shares. I did. 
I think I paid 80 rand a share. You can't even sell them anymore. Marcus Euster uh, made money, stole money, literally of hundreds and thousands of people all over the world. Needless to say that not only business people, but government officials, we have a real problem in our country. We've gone through the whole Gupta saga, but it hasn't ended. We continue to face story after story, repeated endeavors of public money being looted for self-enrichment. Suburb after suburb, suburb in Pretoria uh, has had to implement, is in the process of implementing uh, measures to lock themselves up. Uh, just so that they can be safe behind access control, different booms, fences, armed responsive, response services, just to keep the thieves out. Most of you live in those kinds of areas. I often hear from where I live incidents of cash-in-transit robberies. I've often thought to myself, it's a danger. Surely you put your life at risk if you take a job as a driver of a cash-in-transit vehicle. Most of us drive our cars. I'm, I'm sure all of us drive our cars with our windows closed to avoid being robbed when we stop at an intersection. In fact, I wonder this morning, and I'm not going to do it, but I, I wonder if there's anyone yet today who has never been a victim of theft. I don't think so. In one way or another, your house, your cell phone, your wallet, uh, something has been stolen. And so most of us, I think all of us here today will agree that taking what does not belong to you is wrong. We would agree with the commandment, not wanting to have any of our belongings removed by theft. Sadly, and I'm going back to the painting we also find reason to sometimes justify subtle, perhaps what we would call petty instances of theft, sometimes even legitimizing blatant, what I would call Robin Hood type actions of robbing from the rich to do justice to the poor. So we do need to examine this commandment this morning, but I want to do so at a deeper level. I really want us to think through some issues and see what is at stake when God, in fact, commands us, you shall not steal. And so to begin with, I want to talk a little bit about you and your worldly possessions. Everyone owns something. Older people, younger people, sometimes computer games, I'm imagining. Uh, perhaps older people, a house and a car, and even the poorest among us would own clothes that they wear uh, from day to day. So everybody owns something. But how should we be thinking about that which we own, as well as how do we think about the things that other people own, those people around us? There are a couple of things that this commandment not to steal implies. And I want to step out of the box, perhaps, this morning and say that it is a biblical principle and the biblical principle is the right to private property. The right to private property. God's order for society includes the ownership of property. 
It's, it's a legitimate reality. Without the right to private ownership, theft would not be possible. How can you steal something if it doesn't belong to anybody? And, and so you, you can own things. You can own stuff. So the Eighth Commandment presupposes not that we are just living together in some kind of communistic uh, commune, but we live with privileges, the privilege of acquiring and owning worldly possessions. So I thought, well, how, how does ownership come about? How do we practically experience and acquire things? And, and I came up with four categories, and uh, uh, number one is by inheritance. I think everybody hopes to have an auntie somewhere, isn't it? Uh, some long-lost auntie that's going to remember you and leave something for you. So legitimately, you can acquire something through inheritance. It is also true that you can acquire something, uh, some things by gift. It's wonderful to see and experience the reality uh, in any community, the generosity that some people show in giving gifts, and sometimes smaller gifts, sometimes bigger gifts. You can also acquire things by work. And I even want to add there, hard work. I really uh, have great experiences uh, being exposed to some uh, of people's progress coming to our city from distant places on our continent. And uh, in one instance, I was visiting someone uh, in, in our church, and uh, it was in a flat in Sunnyside, and uh, we were chatting, and I just started listening to their story. Uh, started out as a car guard, because in this country, uh, qualifications from other places are often not recognized. So this man worked hard, long hours, humiliating hours as a car guard, but he stuck at it. And, and progressed. He got a qualification. He got a, another job. And then he got another job. And, and, and eventually was able to settle his family and purchase a flat. Now the point is hard work. You acquire things. Anybody ought to work hard so as to acquire that which is necessary in life. And then there's a fourth category. Stealing. You can steal. It's a way of getting things. Now, the first three are based on what I want to call this morning laws of love and service. Somebody gives you a gift. Somebody leaves something for you in a will. That's about love. Hard work is about service. And, 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 and this service that, that earns legitimate reward. But the fourth category, stealing, stealing is based on the law of greed and selfishness. The thief does not work honorably for what he gets, and nor does he justly earn what he requires. And so the commandment here recognizes the right of ownership by love and work, but forbids ownership on any other basis. So that's number one, the right to private property. But I want to dig a little bit deeper because we need to add that while the commandment recognizes the right of ownership, the right to private property, I want to show you secondly that ownership is derived ownership. All that you have is from God. 
Every single thing that you own is from God. James puts it explicitly in James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we do need to understand, while there is this right to private property, the only thing which are our own, it's not really our own. There's a tension there. You've got to understand that. The reason is because ownership is derived ownership. Go back to the beginning of the Bible. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a mandate. He gave them a commission to oversee. They were made to be stewards. They were to take care of the garden. They were to exercise authority over all of the, the creation. But it was not owners separated from the reality of what God had given to them and provided for them. God gave it to them as stewards, to be responsible stewards. So we, in the same way, need to recognize what you have, what you own, is as a result of God's kindness and gift, and it's on trust. It's on trust. Which brings me to a third point, and again, I want to dig a little bit deeper now. We need to add, while the commandment recognizes the right of ownership to be derived ownership, it is that stealing is sinning against God. When we steal from another person, it's not just that we are stealing from them, or that we're sinning against them. But when we steal from somebody, we sin against God. Now here's a quote that I think uh, is helpful. Alistair Begg, some of you listen to Alistair Begg, a preacher from Cleveland, Ohio. He says, when we steal from somebody, what we do is we harm them. We disregard them. We devalue them. And in doing that, we sin against God. Because it is He who has given them what they have. It is He who has given them regard. And it is because of Him that they have value. Sinning is not isolated from our relationship and accountability to God. When I sin against you, I sin against God. Now, the best I thought was to go to an example. Okay, let's show you a biblical example. Uh, psalm 51. Remember, David writes the psalm as a prayer of confession uh, after his sin, the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. Now, he's saying, hang on, what's that got to do with stealing? Well, think about the incident. Think about what he did. And, and you can see he cries out to God in the fourth verse, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, let's think about what happened on the ground. What, what is it that, that David did? Well, the facts on the ground are that he sinned against people. And he stole from people. He sinned against Bathsheba in adultery, stealing her purity. He sinned against Bathsheba in killing her husband Uriah. Robbed her of a marriage. Robbed the family and disorientated and destabilized the family. He robbed her of her reputation. 
Did you get the idea? So his theft, his theft is all over the place. It's not just, it's not just one little thing against uh, uh, Bathsheba. But when he expresses it, and he expresses it before God, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Which now leads me to my second main point, because I want to consider some of the specific ways you and I can sin against God by stealing. Now, I looked at various ways of doing this, and I thought I could spend weeks and weeks going through lists of different examples. I've been a little bit picky in what I've done. Countless ways to steal. Let me begin with the Heidelberg Catechism, trying to teach uh, children and, and adults, members of the church, uh, some kind of summary of the Eighth Commandment. This is what it says. Answer number 110. God forbids not only the outright theft and robbery, we know that, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, like the painting, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. That's excessive uh, interest rates. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or show of right, in addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. Now, here's a challenge this morning that I want us to examine our hearts. Is it possible, as you sit here this morning and think about your life and conduct, that you have in some way, some way, broken this commandment? I think most of us, like the butcher and the nice lady, would resent being called a thief. I'm guessing none here, as I look across all these lovely faces this morning, have uh, stolen a car, or robbed a bank, or pinched your neighbor's TV. But, but listen to these. But you may have robbed your boss of a couple of hours of work. And I wondered about that this morning when I was going through my notes again. And I thought, you know, COVID is such a good opportunity. Because we work from home. My boss doesn't know what I do, Mark Kingen. You don't know what I do. <laughs> and so what if I take a few hours to watch a bit of World Cup soccer? Isn't it thieving? Stealing from the boss, expecting to do so many hours of work a week? Or, this is a touchy one, oh Mark, you're really in the limelight this morning, uh, dodge paying taxes due to the government. We justify this kind of action. Not paying debt that you've incurred. A little more subtly, a little more subtly, and we ought to examine our lives being so stingy that you've robbed your wife of her dignity, men. Not even giving your wife money to buy a newspaper. Or being so extravagant that you robbed your family of security, not providing for them in the long term. Or borrowed, borrowed something you've never returned. You know, I have got gaps on my shelf. And I'm looking at Mark because he's innocent. Because he's only come. I have a massive library, and I, I could not fit my books on my shelves. But not anymore. They're gaps. 
And I've wondered where these books are. One day I went to a book, uh, 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 book sale and I was browsing through the books and I found one of my books. <laughs> what about slander? What does slander do? It robs someone of their reputation. And I've left this one for last. Or robbed God by holding back in our tithes and offerings. Well, the list is endless. And the title of my sermon, it seems that the whole human race is a band of thieves. Martin Luther, I quote him. He says, if we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide stable full of great thieves. He speculated, and I want to quote what he speculated, what would happen if we were all brought to justice. He says, it is the smallest part of thieves that are hung. So in those days, they used to hang people if they were caught stealing. He says, only a small part of the community of thieves are actually caught. He goes on. If we were to hang them all, where shall we get rope enough? We must make all our belts and straps into halters. Brings me to my third point. Escaping the consequences of being a thief. The Bible in Mark's gospel tells of two robbers who were sentenced to death. Two criminals, two thieves. Mark chapter 15 verse 27. And with him, that is with Jesus, they crucified two robbers. One on his right and one on his left. Now, the, the, the point I'm wanting to develop over here is that we have two men here who were caught. They were stealing. They were tried. They were sentenced. And they were being hanged. Justice was being served. Now, again, we have to bring that to ourselves in our own situation. And, and, I, and I hope I've established in your minds this morning that breaking the Eighth Commandment is against man, but it is also against God. And so what, what, if, what if a charge sheet was compiled of the instances you broke the commandment, or I broke the commandment? What then if justice was served on you and you were numbered among the worldwide band of thieves? Now, in our country, it is true, thieves get away with breaking the law. Many thieves are free. But we do need to recognize with great clarity and concern, this will not be so at the end of time. When God will hold each one of us to account, not just the big politicians or the big business people that we're concerned about, He will hold each one of us account, and all that I have done and all that you have done will be exposed before God. A verdict will be pronounced, a sentence will be given. Now, here's the good news the only way to avoid a guilty verdict. And that horrible sentence, the devastating sentence of punishment away from the favorable presence of God is to do what the one thief on the cross did. And I want to read you what he did. Unlike the other thief, the other criminal, 
he recognized that Jesus was being unjustly crucified, unjustly hanged, that Jesus was different, that Jesus could save him from the wrath of God. Now listen to the, the, the words. It comes to us from Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. That was the one response. But the other rebuked him, that is the other criminal, saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, turning to Jesus, Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And verse 43, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Like the gospel message is the way to avoid condemnation. Jesus, the man Jesus, the God-man Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, was in those moments suffering, and the, the one criminal sought, suffering as a substitute for worldly sinners. He had done nothing wrong, righteous. Substitutionary atonement is what we call it theologically. Not only for theft, but every single sin, every conceivable sin possible, Jesus died for sinners. Now some of you, and I would like to think most here this morning, are already benefiting from this atoning work of Jesus. You, you've understood, you've come to that place of redemption, the redeeming work of Jesus applied in your life. He saved you from your sin. But I want to challenge you this morning. This message ought to challenge you to greater heights of sanctification. We believers ought to look and see where is it that we are sinning against God in subtle ways. Sometimes even in thought. How do we grow? What is it that you need to repent from? How does your behavior need to change to be more conformed to the moral likeness of Jesus? That's the one response, the one side of the conclusion of this message. The other side is there may be some amongst us who are still sinking deep in their sin, drowning, as it were, in the sin that they commit. And so... The question I have to ask to you this morning is, which thief emulates your response of your heart to this message today? That probably applies to all of us. You see, is it the one thief whose concern was the saving of his skin? That's all he was interested in. Jesus, you, you get us off this cross. Save my skin. Selfish. He saw Jesus as a convenience at a particular moment when he was in trouble. The other one was concerned with the saving of his soul. He speaks something of the fear of God. He understands that he sinned against God. He knows that he's a sinner and he acknowledges that. He knows that apart from help 
outside help. He's in trouble. He's sunk. And so he sees Jesus as his only hope for mercy. In fact, that's where we are. The message that we bring Sunday by Sunday, our hope, the gospel message. Our only hope in this life and the life to come is looking to Jesus as our only hope for mercy and salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, continue to use your word as a mirror as we look into that mirror, seeing that we constantly stand in need of your mercy and your grace. May your spirit do his work in us, convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment, leading us, Lord, to that place of the cross, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.